I find like we live in this world, we overthink everything. And it's just like, no, we, we figure things out. We learn and we grow from them. What has been revealed to me? If you're a person who's heard the word no from a boss, an ex, a team that cut you, a job market that didn't want you, an accident or diagnosis that left you debilitated and depressed, or felt paralyzed by any setback that you just weren't willing to accept, this is the show for you. Because it'll teach you what my dad always taught me, that failure is just opportunity in disguise. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. Welcome back to 10,000 No's. Thank you for all of the emails and direct messages about last week's episode with my old friend, Dr. Christopher J. Burns, trauma surgeon, Navy SEAL, among other things. My guest today is someone that I did not know and was introduced to through a friend of a friend. So all I had to go on was what I read about her online and what I saw of her on her very impressive Instagram feed. She was named Fast Company's Most Creative People, Young Global Leader by the World Economic Forum and Inc.'s Most Impressive Women Entrepreneurs. She is the co-founder of Tushy, Thinks, and Wild Restaurants, all of which you're going to hear all about, and all of which are valued at a combined $150 million. She is currently the CEO of Tushy. She has found a lot of success by being a disruptive innovator. All of her companies have come from her ability to take something that was challenging to her and underserved in the marketplace, mostly because the topics they dealt with were considered taboo by the business world. What I really appreciated about Mickey's candor is that she did not pull any punches. She has no problem talking about her successes, but she does it while explaining that each one of them came after a lot of struggle, being told no repeatedly, challenges raising money, at one point being mocked by a potential investor, almost being on the brink of collapse as she described her restaurant before finding her current partner. There are so many lessons here, and there are also enough F-bombs to warrant an explicit rating. So if you've got kids around, let this be a warning. Get those earmuffs. As I've said before on this show, I'd rather have guests being themselves, and Mickey was just that. I'd like to acknowledge my interns, Jonathan Ng and Daniel Arisa. Without them, you wouldn't be hearing this for a few more months, even though Mickey and I sat down for this conversation in Brooklyn in the fall of 2019. With me being so busy with other endeavors right now, this podcast is running on the fumes of the collective perseverance of our whole team right now, which is not inappropriate considering the perseverance and resilience of Mickey Agrawal. Here she is. Born and raised in Montreal? Born and raised in Montreal, Canada. Okay. Yeah. And so did you, I mean, it's kind of crazy that you and your twin are both entrepreneurs. Do you have other siblings? And yeah. We have a third sister who's 11 months older than us. We're, Irish, we're Irish triplets. Irish triplets. She, wow. Your parents are brave. Yeah. She <laughs> she basically like, you know, became, you know, the, the Asian parents dream child, like, you know, Harvard, Yale Medical School, like head and neck surgeon, like, you know, it's like every immigrant has to have like a doctor in the family, you know? And so we're, we definitely have, um, you know, she luckily and unluckily, you know, took that burden off our shoulders. Yeah. And so she got to, you know, she became the doctor, the surgeon, you know, that my parents want. I mean, growing up, my, my dad was like, okay, Yuri, the uh, brain surgeon, Radha, the orthopedic surgeon and Mickey, the heart surgeon, yeah. you know? And my sister and I were like, Mm-mm, we're not, we're not going that 
Right. And so both of us became entrepreneurs kind of because we ultimately saw a lot of problems in the world and things that we thought we can solve. And also we're just both very unemployable. Like we, we it's like, you're not my dad, you know, it's like, don't <laughs> tell me what to do, yeah. you know? And so there's a little bit of that too. Like we have a very, we had, a, we grew up with a very strict Indian father. And so Indian father, Japanese mother, Japanese mother. Yes. Both are From, no, both of those cultures are known to be super hardcore. Mm-hmm, academic. So, academic. Discipline. Yeah, discipline. So, but, we, but we rebelled like crazy. But did you do well? Did both of you do well in school? Like yeah. You just, I mean, yeah. I mean, like, you know, like my dad was like, why did you get only 91%, you know, <laughs> what happened to the nine? You know, so like while we were both in the, you know, we were both in the tag program, like the talented gift, whatever, you know, like programs, it was always never enough, you know, but like, yeah. but I think that's what gave, gave us the drive, you know, it's never enough and you have to keep striving. And I think that's something that I kind of find in myself too. Like the, like never, like we have to keep improving constantly. It's never enough. Do you ever, do you feel satisfied or do you celebrate your wins now or still do you always look to the next, look to the next? Interesting. Well, yeah. I mean, I think that it's a combination of both, right? You have to stop and smell the roses for a second. You're like, wow, that was cool. And then just keep going because like, you there's know, more to do. there's so much more to do. Yeah. 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 So, uh, athletic background. I know. So by, by the way, reading your, your bio, I don't even know where I read it, but I was like, Oh my God. Like, you know, I was like played se- semi-pro yeah, soccer, soccer and like, you know, written two books. You're young. I mean, mm-hmm. you're, you, you know, you, you, and I, I love your, as I was saying before we started rolling, I love your Instagram feed with all the videos. You, you just, I think, break things down in a very, uh, I, I want to say in the best sense of the word, simple way. Mm. I don't mean yeah, that. Yeah, no, no, no. Way. I mean, That's like you break, yeah, you take these concepts that you guys have done very well, but then you break it down so a layman can hear it and go, oh, yeah, that makes sense, which makes me want to click on the videos that go into like IGTV and keep going. I'm like, let me just hear what else she said, <laughs> you know? And it, and it's funny to hear that background of, of your parents, your, the vibe or the image that I get in not knowing you is, and I know it's not totally true because you've done so much, but it seems super laid back. Like it seems, mm. but I know, I know because of what you've accomplished that it can't be, oh my God, but the, yeah. but the, the exterior is like, it seems like it, it feels like it's like off the cuff going, you know, this and and I mean, it's a combo, right? Because like, I'm also like, a, you know, hardcore creative and creatives have very like emotional. Yeah. Like today, like I had a, a meeting with my CEO and COO and I was like, fuck you and fuck you. And then we were both, they were both like, oh wow, I've never heard fuck you before. And I was like, yeah, I said it, you know, it was yeah. like, and then we laughed about it afterwards, but it was just funny in the moment. So yeah, yeah. no, I mean, I think, yeah, there's, there's a part of me that's chill and laid back. We call it EGM, easygoing Mickey, <laughs> you know? So like, Andrew's like, is EGM here? I'm like, EGM's here. You know, it's like, if it's a weekend, it's like EGM's here, easygoing yeah. Mickey's here because outside, cause like I'm pretty intense and I'm pretty passionate. I'm pretty hard core about everything pretty much. Cause like I said, immigrant daughter mentality. Yeah. And so I do have to like, people are always like, channel your mom, channel your mom, yeah. you know, your sweet Japanese mom, channel your mom. <laughs> Cause you know, I'm always like channeling my intense, hardcore dad. It, it's like, you think that, you know, you'd chill out after a while, but I feel like 
Yeah. It's, it's like, I talked to my coach actually last night, like midnight about it, literally last night at midnight about how I want to just chill the fuck out sometimes, you know, like yeah. really, like really chill out. And and I do like, you know, but sometimes, but only for, but only for like a certain amount of time, I want to just really, really chill out, you know? So I think I told my, I told my, um, assistant, like last week that I'm like, as of last Friday, that was my last Friday that I'm taking meetings or taking calls ever again. Like, I want to just have my Fridays as a time to think, as a time to be creative, as a time to be with my child or family or whatever, like really be in a space of full creativity because I feel like otherwise my weeks are just jammed with so many meetings and interviews or like, or, or, or just, just constant meetings, you know? And, and I feel like I just, I just don't. And then by the time the day is done, I'm so spent. I want to go work out. And then by the time I'm done working out, it's just like, I ain't going to work on my own shit at that. I make other things or like dream up of the next, you know, or, or anything, you know, I just feel like my brain gets so over consumed. And so finally I was like, I'm done. I'm good. I have like, I'm safe financially. I'm safe, you know, in life. Like I don't need to like keep like just filling in all the slots of times. Right. And so, which allow, which hopefully will allow me to chill out a little bit more, Yeah. <laughs> but I've spent like literally 40, you know, like, like the, my entire life as an entrepreneur, as a person, just, get, you know, like getting after it. Yeah. Right. Like it's yeah. hard to be like, okay, I'm done. So, so go back to when you were a kid. Cause so you ended up playing soccer, uh, when you were in, I guess your late teens or twenties or I started you, when I was se- four semi pro. So you started when you're four mm-hmm. was, was it only soccer or did you play everything? Soccer. And- well, soccer was our main. Okay. And then we played badminton, like at, at the highest Canadian level, you know, which is like kind of hilarious to some people, but like at the same time, people are like, isn't it called badminton? <laughs> and we're like, no, it's badminton. There's an N in there. Okay. Um, and were you guys a team? Was it doubles? My sister and were doubles. Sister- yes. That's we were doubles cool. mainly, but we also played singles. Like my sister and I always ended up in like the finals against each other. It was like Serena and like whatever. And, and I was Venus. just in Venus. And I was always, like she always psyched me out she's five minutes older than me until the final game ever we played against each other and I won and I'm like I'm always like yeah but the last game I'm done I'm done I will never play you again yeah so Um, yeah yeah so no I I you know soccer soccer badminton and then I played field hockey in high school and I played basketball in high school but then my dad in ninth grade like because we didn't get like 90% one semester he took us off the basketball team and my sister and I both were starters we both got 80 nine percent one year on our on our on our in our like studies or whatever and he was like nope you know ac- you know studies come first and that was it and then like cut to i don't think i've ever said this in a in a, in, in a podcast ever or whatever before is that growing up my sister and i made like the the equivalent of the state field hockey team and because we were already playing soccer for like the equivalent of state soccer team yeah. we couldn't play two meanwhile they're both like prestigious honors and are both like at, it's not like you're like out smoking pot in the back lot like you know so i my sister and i had to we had to like convince our friend bobby lee's mom 
Um, I haven't talked, I haven't said Bobby Lee and it's like probably 20 years. Oh, I don't know. You I love know? that I'm bringing you back. I know. I like Bobby Lee's mom to be like, okay, we need you to pick us up like two blocks away from our house. And we would like tell our parents we're going to the library to study. And we would stick like half of our field hockey stick in our sleeve and the other half in our bag. And we would just walk out like we were going to the library. Meanwhile, we're going to like training for, you know, to be on the field hockey to be, to be like to, to, to feel a state hockey field hockey team, you know? And, and it was so crazy that like that's what we had to sneak out to do. Like yeah. it wasn't like partying or making out with right. boys. Like I thought boys had cooties till I was like 21, you right. know? Well, and, what's crazy. Like, so you're, you're, you know, like physically, I wouldn't think of you as like a basketball player. You guys must've been amazing athletes. Cause it's not like we're you're tiny. Yeah. But, we're you, five but one. you must be super Fast. athletic and I quick. can like probably like slide through your legs right yeah, now. <laughs> exactly. I mean, like that, that's what I'm yeah. saying. Like to, to, and, and so were, was your style of play scrappy, you, scrappy, scrappy yeah. fast, and also really good at handling the ball. Yeah. So like juking, and you think about like, why are Span why did the Sp- Spanish, you know, soccer team beat the Germans in the finals? Because they're tiny and they're like, they can cut, cut, cut. And yeah. they're like center of gravity is much lower. So we just, we can turn around on people like so much faster. Like we, I, my sister and I were always always without fail, the smallest people on the team, like yeah. always, yeah. but we were you know, outside midfield or, or like, out, you know, or striker, we would just like sneak by people and they would just, you know, and we were like scrappy too, you know, we'd pull on shirts sometimes. I'm imagining, and I want to get into it, that you guys as entrepreneurs or maybe like the scrappy same yes, version absolutely. as you were on the field in sports. Yeah. I think the most translating things ever. Like you, you know, if it's like you lose a play, if you get back and put your head back in the game, you know, you fall down on your face, you do something like, you know, ridiculous, you know, that, that you mess up and then you have to get your head back in the game with every play. And when you have like that kind of training every single day, I think it actually lends itself really well to entrepreneurship. It translates to my profession as well. It's a, it's performance based, but you're working with a team, so it, it's the same thing. And I always think of actors. I've been saying this for years. Are entrepreneurs? Yeah. It's just that our business is ourselves. Hundred percent. Yeah. But we really you have to are sell yourself. You have to be able to like market it. You have to like create relevant content. You have to like keep yourself constantly in the game. Yeah. It's yeah. a really so it's very similar. And so I, I see that link because I see it for myself and then I, I can see it for you. And what I'm curious about is like, did you guys early on, even, even prior to college or whatever, did you ever, were you guys out there with like lemonade stands? Were you always <laughs> that kid or no, not at all. Sure. And then it came later. I, that honestly, like entrepreneurship was a really surprising thing. Although like looking back, you know, we, we were pretty scrappy in a lot of ways and that like in, in college when we were 19 and 20, my sister and I did, uh, we spent, you know, our summers in LA working for like different film studios and we made our first movie, you know, we raised the money, we raised like $10,000, you know, which was like for you know, a 19 year old who's never raised money before ever. Yeah. It was like so huge for us. And then we like, you know, we, we like got, cause the, the, the movie we made with short film was called soccer dance. <laughs> and it was basically like two rivaling soccer teams where the parents were way more intense about it than their kids. And of course, like later on a movie with like Will Ferrell came out about it, right, right. but like we kicking were and screaming, yeah, kicking think, and screaming. Yeah, yeah. and we were like, 
we were like, oh my God, it like came after soccer dads, you yeah, know? Yeah. And, and, and we paved the way. We paved Will. the way and we got like jerseys like donated to us by like the local sports stores. And we got like, you know, the craft service table food donated. And we got like. How'd you raise the money? Was it friends and family or did no, you do like a Kickstarter? We, or no, what we year met. Was this? this was in. This was in. Uh, 2000. 2000. Yeah. Okay. It was 1999. No, no, it was 1999. Okay. So you're like 20 years old. We were like 20 years okay. old. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was 1999. We were 20. And what'd you do? How'd you get the money? What'd you do? It was, we, 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 there was this woman named Jade. Oh my God. I haven't said this woman's name ever, like literally in 20 years. Um, and she worked at the film company that we worked at. And I think she came from like money and she just saw, she believes in my sister and, and, and me. And meanwhile, we like you know, we never built anything or anything at the time, right. but we really, we made the movie and we were really excited about it. it Did was, you guys write it and direct it and produce yeah, it? Yeah, we had our friend AJ write the movie. Okay. He and our friend Evan Metropolis um, acted in it. Evan's like, Evan's like this big time, like entrepreneur now. Oh, he, really? He owns like, you know, Chef Boyardee and Bumblebee Tuna and Golden's Mustard. And he owns like, you know, he owns Paps Blue Ribbon and like his family owns like all these crazy things. And he's also like this crazy, like Belushi style actor. So he was one of our actors who were like, we have really, you know, like noteworthy actor. And meanwhile, he never acted a day in his life, you know? Um, and uh, I think we might have gotten some like, you know, like canned tuna donated for the shoot yeah. from his family or something. No, but um, it was really, it was a really cool experience. And was that over a summer while it was over you were a still summer. in college? While, while we were in, still in college and we and were in Where'd you go to college? In Cornell. Cornell. We went to Cornell. You went to Cornell? Yes. So, okay. So you did that. You go back to Cornell. Yeah. I went back to Cornell and then, and then we graduated. So, so then senior what were you, what were you majoring? Yeah. In? We were like majoring in like nothing important. It was like called like business and communications, okay. which was kind of like blah. You Still know? didn't know what you wanted to do. Still didn't if know. If someone put a gun to your head back then and said, you're going to, what are you going to do? You would be like, I soccer have no player, idea. Soccer professional player. Professional soccer player. Okay. So you, did you play at Cornell? Both I played all four years. Both yeah. We you. both played D1 all four years at Cornell. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. It was like, that's okay. all, it was literally all we did with our lives play okay. soccer. And, um, and so we were like, yeah, we're gonna be soccer players. But then senior year, senior year rolled around and, oh my God, I can't believe I'm going to tell this story too. I haven't told this to anyone, but two games before my senior, my senior career was over like two games before, like I played all four years, started every single game for four straight years until the senior year when the coach and I started having some issues and he wanted to bench me like for my last game of my like senior year ever of playing soccer. Cause it's just, just like wanted to make me learn a lesson. And so I was like, I quit. <laughs> and so oh my God. I haven't told this story to anyone ever. And so I quit two games before my senior season ended when I played all four years in college. Oh but what was so important about that experience was that my sister and I both quit together and, um, and, and she had hurt her ACL anyway. So she was pretty much out and done, um, that year. But then we went and played, we went to the NCAA national championship in badminton, um, the second semester senior year. So we just said, fuck it. We're going to go play badminton. We picked up our, our like badminton rackets Are after, you four, serious? after four years of not playing, entered the qualifiers for NCAAs. I haven't told this story either. And we made it to, we qualified, we went, we came first place in the qualifiers and, and then we went, we went to the NCAA national championship for, for badminton and lost in the quarterfinals, to the national champions in three sets, which was really fucking cool. Having not 
not played in like three, oh four God. years. It was fucking epic. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so we quit, but what was cool was that after we quit, which was a real, it was like the hardest fucking time. It was such a fucking hard time in our lives because when it's all, you know, and all you have, and you're like, Oh my God. I remember there was this guy named, there was a guy named Will who was in my, in my boyfriend at the time's fraternity who is this jerk? And he was like, I'm going to be an investment banker when I like graduate from college. And we're like, what's that? You know? And he was like, it's only the most prestigious job that pays the most money out of college. And I'm going to get a job at Deutsche Bank. And we were like, okay, whatever. And he was such a jerk. But finally we were like, okay. So, so that, so in our senior year, we didn't have any, like we didn't have anything to do. So then we're like, all right, we guess we just start applying for jobs. And this was when nobody else was applying. Nobody else on our soccer team had time to apply for jobs. And so my sister and I, there was this thing, oh my God, I can't believe telling a story too. Um, is that they basically had these sleepover thing, these sleep, like, like, you know how when you like sometimes have to sleep for tickets, like sleep out at night right, and right. get and tickets wait to line a, wait in line yeah. to go to like the show that you want to go and see. Right. Right. My sister and I found out that there were, there were, they were like the investment banks were holding these like, like first come first serve interviews with anyone who was in the, like the communications art school. Cause they always pick like one or two people per investment banking class to are, who are not hardcore finance majors to come and bring like a different or perspective, a different, creative, different creative perspective. Yeah. And so Rod and I looked at each other cause we quit soccer. We're like, fuck it. We're just going to go like, we're going to go try out. And all we go, we like, bring suits that we barely have. We like go and get suits. And we, there's this huge line that we, we basically, and we like sleep out that night with our suits in our bag all night long. And then the next morning, the investment banks all show up like, and there's like this line of people who are like waking up, like sleeping on the streets and like on the grass. And then you put your suits on and then we went and interviewed, but my sister went right before me. And so what was interesting was because we're twins they were, they basically remembered us. And what we also figured out, which is such a hack, I can't believe, um, is that they were, they, they, so like we knew that investment banks were part of the interviews. They would have people do these brain teasers. So they, they'd ask brain teasers, like it's three fifteen on an analog clock. How many degrees are between the hour hand and the minute hand, you know? <laughs> and you would have to like, like you would have to like think about it on the spot and be like, okay, so it's three fifteen, And you know, your initial thought would be like zero, right? Right, because it's three fifteen on a clock, right? Right, right? And you'd think it's zero, but no, Cause it's, it's, it's gone bit, yeah, a little bit. It's twenty five percent. So okay, three sixty degrees divided by twelve. Okay, divide, but okay. So we basically happened to study a bunch of brain teasers a day before because we thought that we would get you know, maybe get brain teasers. So we get, finally we're in line to these interviews and like all these people are going, who have like probably way more like knowledge and whatever than us. Cause we have no idea what the hell investment bank. We didn't even know what investment banking was. Right. We went to these interviews. We literally didn't even know. And so we go to these interviews and, and then we get these brain teasers and literally the brain teaser that we're given is the brain teaser that we studied the day before. <laughs> So we pretended like we, we were like thinking about it on the spot, like, but we, we knew it because we knew the answers. And so we were like, and they were like, oh my God, check. They passed the brain teaser. So my sister and I, because we were both like fun and funny and cool, whatever, like not like the other, like super stuck up people, like 
we got final rounded to every single investment bank. It was like Deutsche, it was Goldman, it was like CIBC World Markets, it was like every single like Citibank. It was like all, so we, we so like they all you know flew us to New York City to you know to get final rounded right. in the interviews and. And then we like, we were like, all right, now we need to figure out what the fuck investment banking is. Anyway, so we, we eventually, like I eventually get the job at Deutsche Bank. And and didn't you work in investment banking for like- I, Two years. Two years. Yeah, for okay. two years. My I sister, actually thought it was, I thought I had read it was even longer than that. That's, no, okay, so no, two my, years. Yeah, and my sister did it for like only four months because 9-11 happened right. right after our training period. And I was supposed to be there on 9-11. My subway stop every single morning was to World Trade Center. And, um, I just pretty much started my job. I was 22 years old and 9-11 happened. And, um, I usually basically, you know, like get off the world trade center, exit subway stop, walk upstairs to get tea with my girlfriend and then walk across the street to my office, which was directly across to world trade center. And then 9-11 happened and 700 people, my girlfriend's office died on that day. She worked on the hundredth floor and two people in my office died on that day. And that day, 9-11 was the single only day in my life that I slept through my alarm clock. Wow. Like never before or never after have I ever, to this day, I'm the lightest sleeper. I've never slept through my alarm clock since or before. And, um, and I just fucking slept through my alarm clock and woke up at 10 o'clock the next morning. And I was like freaking out. Cause I just started my investment banking job out of context. You're like, Oh right. my God, I'm late for work. Like, Whoa. Right. And so I'm calling, trying to get car services and to come pick me there. up and nobody's, all the lines are busy. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? I finally, I'm calling, I'm calling, I'm calling cars. I'm trying to call anyone. No one's picking up. And finally a car service person picks up the phone. I'll never forget what he says. He says, turn the TV on. And he just hung up on me. And like out of context, you're like, yeah. turn the TV on. What the fuck are you talking about? Right. And I eventually turned the TV Were on. Were you living in Brooklyn at the time? Yeah, or? I was living in Brooklyn at yeah. the time. Turned the TV on and and then I checked my phone, hundreds of missed messages, like everyone thinking I was there, everyone freaking yeah. out. But I missed the whole thing. It basically made me realize that the mystery of life is that you never know when it's going to end. Mm. It made me realize that we can all die right now. Meteor can hit the planet. We're all dead. And like, it made me realize that, you know, life is so short. And, you know, I calculated from, you know, when I was 22 years old, from the point of when you graduate college, 22 years old to the point you die, you only have 21,000 days to live. That's it. The average, the average human dies 80, 85 years old, right? So you count the days at 21,000 days, 21,000 days to live. And like, what are we going to do with that time? Are we going to spend it trying to chase down money or do something that we don't even know what the hell it is, like the investment banking? Yeah. Or are we going to follow our dreams and follow our passions and figure out what the hell that is right. and make it count every, make every moment count. And that was my wake up call. But you were that you had just started. So you still did it for two yeah, years. I did only because I tried out because right after 9-11, I was like, fuck it. I'm going to try out for the New York magic. And this is when I had the New York magic, which was, which was the, 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 you know, the WSA soccer league was holding tryouts for walk-ons. And I was like, fuck it. I'm going to go try out for the New York magic and chase my dreams. After 9-11. After 9-11. Did 9-11 weigh into that? Were you, Not, that's, that's yeah, 100%, exactly what, okay. 100%. Okay. And then I had convinced a car service guy to like have my soccer bag. And I convinced like my, the front desk man to like, you know, to, to keep my soccer bag and then the car service guy from my bank to, to you know, to drive me to the soccer tryouts. And so from the, Do- the Deutsche Bank car 
car service guy. I was like, take this is was my that dream. still two thousand one? Two thousand one. Uh, it was like the like like November. It was two thousand one. Yep. Yeah, like was, after. Yep, right a after month or two after. Yep, okay. yep. It was like that. It would happen in September, and the tryouts were like yeah October. Um, so it was really close. It was close, after. or maybe it was the following. I'm just trying to remember because it was like literally 20, yeah. almost 20 years ago. Yeah. But it was like, and then, and then over the next few months, it, there, we were, we held tryouts and I, and I, um, yeah. And so, so I went to tryouts and they, and like in this car, I was like stretching, putting like lacing oh up my, my cleats, like getting after my investment banking, like office job. And I would go up and go up against all D1 athletes from UNC, from like all top D1 schools who've been training for like days. Yeah. And I'm just like coming cold off the banking, sitting there on, <laughs> you know, like a desk. And every single game, they would cut people, they would cut people and they would cut people. And, you know, to the very last tryout, you know, they put up the name of the starting lineup and there I was wow. on that wall, like beat out all these D1 players. And I was like, holy fucking shit. Like, and I was like, all set to quit my job investment banking. But then I was like, you know what? Let me just play my one game of the season. My first game, just see how it goes. So within the first, on the first game of my season, I get past the ball. I juke past two players, whistle, you know, the whistle blows, get the ball, juke past players, cross the ball. And then the striker, you know, heads it back of the net, you know, the, when the first few minutes of my, you know, like WSA career, um, I assist a goal. But then in the moment that I cross the ball, a defender from the other team comes in, slide tackles me and then takes out my knee. And then I hear a telltale snap that my twist ACL, ACL and I tore my ACL. And your sister had done that. My, my sister did it three times in college. So I knew exactly <sighs> what had happened. And so I had to stay at the investment bank to get the very best health insurance to have right. the very best operation, the very best doctor, and then have the best physical therapist. And so I had to grit, you know, through gritted teeth, I had to stay in the investment bank, like hating. What'd my you job. learn from that though? I mean, I know your overall didn't like it, but you must've learned something yeah. from it there they grind i mean i know a lot of guys that that did that and some that that do it my brothers mm -hmm. in the hedge fund world i mean i know they work hard you must yeah, have learned work ethic. i yeah. mean i learned a real serious work ethic i learned professionalism how to be more professional i mean not that you know whatever but you know not that i am at all really but i learned how to be in professional and, and the most important thing like as it relates to me being you know, an entrepreneur, it let me say to future investors that I'm an, I was an investment banker yeah. and I understand how to put together a financial model. I understand how to, you know, do a discounted cash flow model. Like I understand how to do these things and I can speak the language of investors. So fast forward to, you know, many years later when I started my company, companies, plural, you know, that investment banking, you know, experience came really came in handy. Okay. So let's go to the, the, the companies. Let's, let's start with the restaurants. How did you get out of, when you, when you left investment banking, did some. you leave because did you have an exit plan or did you leave? And then you guys figured out well, the, the restaurants I, and, and, and yeah, yeah, no, no, and no. So, I, so, so, um, so 
right after I, I finally left investment banking, I worked in the film business. So I was I worked as a production assistant, picking up trash in the streets, like all the way very in quickly. New York in LA? New York. Okay. In New York. Okay. And then I was like, I'm going to dust off my film resume for my semesters in London, in, in LA. And I just became and what like, were you thinking? Producer? Producer. Okay. Producer. Cool. Okay. And so, and so, and I worked my way up very quickly from going from PA to production managing, you know, big commercials and music videos um, in like four or five months. Like usually it takes people four or five years. Yeah. And I kept saying, I was an investment banker. You know, I went to Cornell. Like I could do this job. Yeah. Let me be an office PA. Let me just, let me be a coordinator. Let me be, a, you know, my, yeah. you know, like a PM, production manager. And eventually started producing, you know, smaller, but st- smaller stuff. And then eventually at that point I, I came up with my first idea, which was born out of a stomach ache because I kept eating food on craft service tables on sets of commercials <laughs> and music videos. And I would eat like pigs in a blanket and pizza. And every time I would come home with horrifying stomach aches and I would eat like M&Ms and just crap, you know, but I'm like immigrant, like I'm like free food, I'll take it, you know, and I would just eat the free food and just not... And, but then be horrifyingly like in pain because I grew up eating really clean, healthy food. Yeah. And so I finally came home one day, which is a horrible stomach ache and said, enough is enough. And then I finally went to research it and discovered the massive processed food industry, discovered that food was not really food anymore. It was made with bleach flour and processed, you know, you know, especially pizza, you know, like bleached flour, processed cheese, sugar-filled sauces, processed, you know, flours, bleached everything, like just like pesticides, antibiotics, you know, like hormones, you know, like everything you can think of was in food that was making people sick. And I was like, oh, and I I remember I had given up my favorite comfort food, which was pizza. And I was like, I want to create New York City's first alternative pizza concept using gluten-free flours and hormone-free cheeses and local seasonal toppings and organic everything when possible and just do that. And this is in 2004, 2005, but nobody this is prior to every, yeah, now was talking kind about of like this shit. Yeah. Nobody was talking about gluten-free farmer table organic. They were like, ew, organic probably tastes like cardboard. Like that's literally what it was like in 2004, 2005. And I was like, no, no, no. Like the pizza category is a $32 billion category. Americans eat a hundred acres of pizza every single day. Day, hundred acres, acres of pizza. Oh God, I love that every day. That, that unit stat. of measurement for the amount of pizza acres. Insane, hundred <laughs> acres every day. Americans. Oh my God. And so we're like, all right. I just had pizza around the corner. Right, Sal's. Sal's. Shout out to Sal's Pizza. I know Sal's has been there forever. My my peep, my peeps in the corner. Um, and I was like, yeah. I just kept, you know, I I just really felt like I, you know. I couldn't eat this food anymore because it just kept making me bloated, farty, gassy, pain, just horrible. And so, um, so then that was the first ding, ding, ding idea. I'm going to create New York City's first gluten-free farm table pizza concept. And that's when I started figuring out how to raise money and how to get press and how to create the location. Luckily, I was dating an architect at the time, you know, who can really draw out the plans and a friend who's interior designer, a friend who can help, you know, do some of the designs of the, of the brochures. My sister helped design the first like brochures to the pamph, you know, to our menus. Walk us through that process. You had the idea. Yeah. You I were had... crystal clear on the idea. Yeah. And then I had a thing, what I call the meeting of the minds. I had, a, I had a meeting of the minds like thing where I invited a bunch of people to this like office space. And I was like, I'm going to bring, I'm going to order dinner for everyone. And I would like people before you come to answer a few questions. And part of the experience of meeting, of coming to the meeting of the minds and the way I phrased it was like, you've been handpicked as some of my smartest friends that I know, smartest people that I know, um, who can think critically about this new business idea. 
and you'll get to meet other really interesting creative people that I think would be really good for you for your Rolodex. And you'll have a beautiful free meal by me. So why not come and have a really interesting dinner party? And so everyone was like, that sounds great. Yeah. Free meal, interesting people come with, you know, like help, you know, like help ideate on some cool idea. That sounds like a good, fun, fun time, you know, fun use of my time. So everybody came and I had architect, I have a music producer, I had a designer, I had a finance person, I had a creative, I had, you know, like every walk of life come to this meeting of the minds. And all of this is in my book, by the way, Do Cool Shit. Just exactly what email I sent to get the meeting of the minds to happen, what it, what I actually served, like how I got people to like lend me borrow their like, you know, apartments or their office spaces like to hold these meeting of the minds. Like everything is detailed so specifically in the books. You can yeah. have, it's not like starting from scratch. You can get some ideas of what actually worked for me. Right. Um, so I had this meeting of the minds and that's where I literally came up with the name. At the time it was called Slice. Now it's called Wild. We came up with the whole entire concept. That dinner was supposed to be like two, three hours long. It was like seven hours because everyone was so engaged, so interested, so curious to hear what people have to say. Cause it was, so, it was such a interesting amalgam of like coming together of different types of people. Yeah. So it was interesting for them to hear what other people had to say, right. but it was all like related to my, my business idea, which was so perfect for me. Right. I was like furiously taking notes. Like we had a big notepad where everyone went and like wrote on the notepad and with their ideas. And it was just fun. And what's fun for everyone else was that they could really like flex their muscles and their minds, but not have to take the risk of doing the thing. Yeah. They could just come and like have fun right. and come up with a bunch of ideas and then not have to do anything like great, you know? So that was fun for them. Like that's what made it fun for them too. So we did this. So, so that's where I came up with pretty much all so many so many parts of my ideas my business plan like I you know I, I you know you, you don't actually have to put a business plan together ever you just put like a presentation deck yeah. like which is like simply like a powerpoint or a keynote presentation that has like if you literally google guy kawasaki 10 slides if you go right now and google guy kawasaki 10 slides you can see literally you can create a 10 slide presentation deck to raise money for your business Right. And, and by the way, the, it's ugly. It doesn't look pretty, but it has the contents of what you need, Right, you know? So it's like, what's your idea? Why is it timely? Like, what was my unique value proposition? Like, why was it timely now? Like all these things, like with competitive analysis, like what's out there, you know, there was nothing at the time. And so, um, it was a really, like, it was really cool to do that. And I think anyone listening here is interested in starting a business or creating anything to bring together really interesting people to make it a win-win. It can't just be like, come idea, my idea for me. Yeah. Like, you can't just be like, come, I, I need your help. Cause the minute you're like, can I pick your brain? Like I, in my, in my talks and in my everything, I'm like, never say, can I pick your brain ever? Because <sighs> everyone's like, no, I don't want you to pick, like, no, yeah. like what's in it? Like, why should I sit? Like, who are you? Like, yeah. I don't want to help you. Like, unless there's like a gift, like I'm always like, always lead with how can I help you first? Yeah. Every, Every entrepreneur I've sat down with says that, how can, how can you, how can I add value to how you? How can I add value to you first before I ask you for something? Yeah. And so like, for me, it was like, I'm going to, like I said, it was a free food. It was meeting other really cool people in a really cool environment. And you'll get to talk about interesting things, but it's really like, it's really in service of them. Right. Like, but also in service of my idea. Right. Right. So it was a win, win. Because if I was like, come idea, my idea with me, they'd be like, I'd probably get like 0% of people wanting to show up. Right. But it was because I, I phrased it perfectly. I made sure it was an absolute win for everyone. So that's a, such a important 
key thing to do is to offer like, you know, my assistant right now, Gibson, perfect example. She was a teacher for four years. I post on Instagram and I was like, I'm looking for some interns to help support me. It's going to be an exchange where I teach you about things about entrepreneurship and you help me do things. And it's an exchange. She reached out. I, for, I forgot her name because it was a complicated name at the time. And I just, and then she reached out to me again and I forgot her name again. And then she reached out to me again. And then I was like, oh, right, right, right. That's your name. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Come over. And then she spent a month and a half working for me, doing everything, not complaining, figuring everything out, having zero experience in any of it. And then a month and a half later, I'm like, yeah, I need someone to really help me, you know, full time. The way she told me, she was like, I'm going back to school now. And you were like, what? And she's like, I'm going back to school. And you're like, no, 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 no. And then she's like, well, you know, I got, and then you guys drew up a contract and she quit her thing. You quit and came work with you. Yeah. And I think it was a perfect win-win because like, I think she's now been exposed to entrepreneurship. She's now given a taste of this kind of life and like, you know, the, the creative expression. And while, you know, being a teacher is wonderful and beautiful, there are a lot of constraints in it. It, it, It's still, you know, like it's a, it's a very challenged atmosphere. And she can take a lot what of she wants lessons. to do as a teacher and the impact she wants to have and put it through the entrepreneurial yes. mind and she can create something for education. That's that right. Will. So that's right. Yeah. It's not like she has to leave her calling if teaching is her calling, but maybe she can, as you would say, disrupt the system using some of the tools that she's learned with right. you. And even, even learning all the videos, she's, she's learned everything on the job. Like right now, yeah. like making all these little videos. No, for I said to her, the first thing I said, when I showed up, I said, I love Mickey's, um, all the videos on Instagram. I said, she got a great feed. And she's like, Oh, I actually make those, those templates. And I said, Oh, cool. She's like, I didn't really know what I was doing and I figured it out. And, and, and that's it. That's what like a lot of the listeners. So it's a, it's a mixed bag of some people are like super, high end in their, in their fields that are listening. And then there are some people that are younger who email in and they're, they're kind of in need of hearing this, that like, it's not rocket science. Yeah, It's actually just a lot of it's trial and error. And then a lot of it is hooking up with someone like yourself and going, Oh, I'm going to skip that's all it. these things that you took however that's many it. years to figure out, you can teach them the hacks and they get there quicker. And that's what I keep saying to people. It's like, just DM people and say, I'll work for you for free for like a couple months. Yeah. And just let me work for you and show you what I got. And yeah. if you, and if you, and, and in exchange, I want, I want to, you know, like I want to learn from you, but I'll work for you for free. And that's like, uh, that's interesting. Like I did that when I was, you know, starting my restaurant and I was like, I needed a mentor who built restaurants before. So I literally figured out where the number one restaurant tour in New York city was going to be rich wolf. And he owns Tao. It does like $26 million a year, you know, and he does like one restaurant in Vegas is 52 million a year. Does a million dollars a week has restaurant. Like it's ridiculous. And I literally found out where he was going to be what time and when through a friend of a friend of a friend. And I showed up there while he was having dinner with his wife and friends. And I was like, Hey, my name is Mickey. I just graduated from Cornell university. I want to be in a restaurateur. You're the best. I would like to shadow you for a week in an exchange or for a month. And and I want to work for you for free for a month. And in exchange, I'll clean your toilets. I'll carry your bags. I'll do whatever the fuck you want. And 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 his wife was like, honey, come on. It was perfect. And he was like, all right. <laughs> and he gave me his credit. He gave me his credit card. <laughs> he his credit no, card he gave me his business charge. card. Yeah. yeah. He gave me his business card. And then I called the next day and I shadowed him for a month, you know, and as he was building his restaurant in Lower East Side, um, Stanton Social, I learned every single thing he did 
in restauranteuring. And if it wasn't for taking the initiative to show up and swallow my pride of potentially getting a no and being like, what are you doing here? Don't come talk to me. I'm eating dinner, you know? Um, and the fact that he said yes, and it's what really helped me along. And so, um, yeah, that was, that was. And so when you opened the restaurant and, and at first it was just one location, right? There, then there were three, but. But yeah, now just there are one, four. There are four now. Yeah. Okay. So did you have any bumpy times with that? When oh my it, God. I, I mean, would the imagine, first seven yeah. years, I was like, just barely was like climbing a mountain in molasses, like quicksand going uphill, like going like, like crying the whole time. You know, it was like, I, I, I was like, how hard could it be? Restaurant? What? You know, it's like the world's hardest. Yeah most insane I was yeah. on time, right? Like you worked at bartender, like you I bartended and then we opened a place down and my brother was actually one of the owners and it did, re that bar did really well. They opened one in the Hamptons that did really well. And then we opened one down near NYU and we didn't do well. It was like in two years, it, it lost money yeah. and it, got, it was, you know, yeah. a bit of a mess. Um, but I know I was also involved in like looking for the space for it and all of that. And it, it is a, it's another one of those businesses, just like we were talking before we started rolling, whether it's acting or entrepreneur, it's another one of those things where everybody's like, Oh, that's so cool. You own a restaurant or you own a bar. It's like, so thankless. Well, I know yeah, but, I've but convinced you're... so many people not to own re open restaurants and since I've owned one, because it's like, you have to live there or you people to, will take you advantage have to really of you. Trust or you have whoever's, to trust. Yeah. I mean, I was partner. robbed blind for yeah. so many years years for people I trusted, I thought I did, or people just like, it was just so bad. But and you somehow got over the hump after how, when did it start? Seven years in, after seven years of just trying so hard myself to make it work, but it was just like, I was just relentlessly not trying to like give up. And then finally, like the universe was like, okay, we're going to give you a little gift of a partner of a man named Walid, who's my current partner, who's epic. And he was running all of Moby, Moby's restaurant. He had like eight restaurants in New York. He had vegan restaurants, Atlas Cafe, like really cool. You know, he understood the vision. And I met him through Moby like years before. And um, and he was like riding his bicycle literally down the street. And I like, you know, I was like, oh, Walid. And so like, I was like just telling him that I was looking for a partner. Is he more operational he is and you're more? the restaurateur of my dreams. And you're more the visionary? Visionary. Visionary, yeah. you know, creative, like, yeah, yeah, design, aesthetic, like, you but know, he's marketing. Just like, he just ops, like, yeah. can run a team, can run a tight ship. Like, he just knows he's food. He's like, he's run restaurants for 15 years before I'd run zero, you know? Yeah. And, um, and he... And I, my first question to him, because after I've been so burned so many times, was like, Waleed, do you believe in karma? Do you believe in karma? That was my first question to him. And he was like, Mickey, every time I have a bad thought, a bicycle run over my foot. <laughs> and I was like, are you the genie from Aladdin? I was like, I love you. And and then he became my partner. Like, and as soon as he came in. and Our numbers within one week of him taking over the restaurant operations, our numbers doubled in one week. Wow. Our numbers tripled in one month. Like literally I was doing that poor of a if job. He had, if you had never met him. I would have would closed it, it, I would have shut the business eventually. Like it would just never. That's would. important for people to hear too. Every element, like, like you basically, you know, that's the difference between. Yeah. You have to, you have to know what your zone of genius is. My yeah. zone of genius is, is definitely not operations. It's not, it's not like 
doing any of the day-to-day consistent thing every single day. Like while I'm really good at like, I'm creative. I come up with the ideas. I come up with like, you know, the campaigns, like the aesthetic, the design, like finding the right people to actually execute. But actually like the day in, day out, consistent operational element. I need someone who just lives and breathes that. And that learning like the seven years of not having that. And then all of a sudden him taking over the restaurant and numbers, like crushing it right after was like a important, an important lesson for me for all the future businesses. That That's followed. what I was going to ask. So how did that, how so did then that he, lead? He freed up okay. my time to focus on building things. Okay. So give us a little, give us kind of the elevator pitch of things. Yeah. So things was again, born out of necessity when you know, every single month on my period, I would constantly have accidents and forget to change my tampon or pad, like running from one restaurant to another. And I'd just be like having just these full on accidents and just like have to run home and change and clean all my clothes and interrupt my day. And it was just messy as fuck. And it just sucked. And I was like, oh my God, how's it possible? There's been no innovation in this category. And this like, I keep making a mess. Like other people must have this mess too. And I went to research it and discovered that you know, the feminine, there was nothing for it. The feminine hygiene category is a $15 billion category. And there had only been three innovations in the entire 20th century, tampons, pads, menstrual cups that have been like nothing since. And because it's so taboo to talk about because nobody's talking about it, no one's innovating. And if nobody's innovating, then there's a huge opportunity. You know, it is so funny that you say that. Cause like, just as you said that, and I know what it is, cause I've you know, read a little bit about it. But even when you were like, I'm having this, I'm like, oh man, she's talking. You know, as the podcaster, I'm like, I wonder how my, how the audience is going to feel about yeah, her talking yeah. about like Those people menstrual, who are free, yeah. You know, if, anyone's, if anyone's like upset or like, oh my God, la la la, should I be hearing this? Like you are here because of it. Without that precious blood, that lifeblood that gave you food, nutrients, that lifeblood in your, in the womb of your mother, you would not be here. For us to stigmatize the thing that creates human life is so fucked up, honestly. And it's all yeah. about control, power. Like it's like, it's weird. And the fact that like, we don't revere that important time of the month and support women instead of making women feel insecure or bad or shameful, we should honor that. We should be like, yo, like thank you for, for like bleeding for my life. Like without that, I would not be here. Thank you. So I think that like part of the whole build out of creating this brand was really changing the conversation around it. It was really destigmatizing the thing that creates human life and doing it through an innovative, beautiful product. And I think when we can change culture through a beautiful, innovative product, can people actually hang their hat on that? Talk about it a bit more because it's not about talking about periods. You're talking about, Oh, a cool product, yeah. you know? And, and Oh, and by the way, it's a gorgeous brand. And Oh my God, you're talking like really accessible and beautiful way. Like I feel like I can relate to this brand cause it's gorgeous. Oh, you're talking about periods. Oh, okay. Well, because it's so beautiful, I can now open myself talking about it a little bit more yeah, yeah. and Oh wow. Like, yeah, like it's a cool product. Like, Oh yeah, yeah. Periods. Let's talk about it a little bit more. Right. But when I first started, I raised $0 for six months, got 10,000 no's like literally maybe yeah. a year to actually zero, zero dollars for a whole year. Right. Literally every no on, on the planet. Six months took us six months to figure out to do a Kickstarter campaign. And then, really, you started with a Kickstarter campaign. Well, because we got zero dollars, yeah. we raised zero dollars. Literally, people are like, and where, who were you going to? Who were the potential investors? Anyone at that point? who we thought who, had money in yeah. their pockets, and they were yeah. all like, "La la la, should I be hearing this? Should I get my wife?" Ha ha ha. And right. and and understandably, they don't get it. They don't understand it. They won't invest in it. Like makes sense. 
And, you know, initially my pitch was always like, yeah, like you don't understand what it feels like to have a period. It's messy. So Men don't it, get that. Is it like, so physically the product is like, like it's underwear, underwear that, that, looks that like has a sexy, like wicking kind it's of got, like, it's like, built in, like it's got a built in, like, you know, like technology that makes the underwear leak proof, absorbent, antimicrobial moisture wicking. So you just like hand wash it. it comes but it's out not like new. having depends on. No, yeah. it's just So sexy, that's the whole point of it. Is it's, that it's sexy, beautiful underwear that it. you can't even tell. It doesn't feel like you're wearing a thick pad. It's like this super high tech product. Okay. And so what I also realized is that, you know, you can't talk to men about like the way it makes you feel. Like I've actually right. had a couple of investors like put a pad on and walk around and like see what it feels like, but that didn't really quite work. I mean, work, <laughs> I mean like, and so, and so you really, really had to relate to the opportunity in the market, right? Like $15 billion category, only three innovations in the entire 20th century. There was, this is a blue ocean white space of a business like the category is like ready and ripe for disruption and that's how you can talk to it to get male investors who really understandably don't get it right. excited about it right. and that so so but that didn't come till later i didn't figure that out till later i had to first do a kickstarter with my with my partners and then figure out like you know, my sister and my, my co-founder, Antonia, we all like spent, we did like a bunch of iterations of Kickstarter. Like what we did one thing where we had like ketchup running down our leg, running around the track. And we were like, that's too gory. Then we like did, we just did so many iterations of Kickstarter. We finally figured out a version that really worked for us. And then we recorded it. And then we, and then of course that's just the beginning. Cause the Kickstarter is like, you're still having to sell to people. So we spent the next 45 days, like getting everybody in their kindergarten teacher to like buy a pair of underwear on pre-order. So we somehow scraped together $65,000 on Kickstarter. And then we, we entered a few competitions and we raised $25,000 and like we, we made, like we won one competition, made $25,000 cash What are the prize. competitions? What kind Different of- like entrepreneurial competitions. Okay. Like, like, like at this point it was like, some phone company, I forget who was doing a competition and the cash price, the best, the best entrepreneurs were getting 25 grand. And so we got 25 grand that way. We raised 65 grand on Kickstarter. We launched a shitty website and on pre-order raised another 25 grand there. Did an Indiegogo campaign, raised 10 grand there. Like we cobbled together like $135,000, like through like literally every means possible. And then with that money, we, we basically did our first production run in China because we needed to, that's how much we needed. We needed to do a minimum order of 3000 units in order for them to even make something for us. And so we finally cobbled together enough to make 3000 pairs of underwear we then got those pairs delivered and then sent them out to all of our Kickstarter orders, which was like a shit show in and of itself. And then we finally got those 3,000 pairs delivered. And then we, we did a survey to survey everyone who bought the product and, been, and said, like, what do you think? You know, and that survey, we got 500 responses. Out of 3,000. Out of 3,000, nine, 99% or 90% of it was like, People freaked out, love it. And so we used that survey to then go and raise like 450 grand from like angel investors and then subsequently raised 1.5 million from more seasoned investors. And then that's when the company took off. From- you really put yourself out yeah. there. And like, I think I'm uncomfortable with asking <laughs> for money and all of that kind of stuff. And And it's just like, the way, the way it's, it's, that's the thing you're not asking for money you're giving them an opportunity an opportunity yeah, to, yeah, to, yeah. yeah you're giving them an yeah, opportunity yeah, to, and, and that, yeah. that actually interesting you say it because 
initially the, I was always like, can I have money? And now right. I'm like, uh, who Do the you, fuck are you? Like, right. what, like I'm going to let my, if I'm going to let you invest in my company, yeah. I got to know who you are. Yeah. Because back then I forgot that I had the power. I yeah. was my idea. It was my energy. It was my, I was on the treadmill fucking pushing so hard and but, building this thing. And I forgot that that's like, yeah, money's energy. And I, I'm, I'm like grateful to when, when someone gets the idea, but I've now switched the power control yeah. from it being about the power in them. I mean, I, I told off a tushy investor, like someone who wanted to invest in tushy and he was just a mean asshole to me. And I was like, I, I turned to my CEO and I was like, who the fuck is this joker? And I like literally like, like kind of like told him off and left the meeting. And I was like, wow. And then he subsequently invested like $150,000 in the business. Yeah. But like, you know, the point is, is that like, I finally remember, like we are the ones that are creating the thing. And that's, and that's the same thing yeah. with actors remembering that when you're going in, you know, it, it is, it's a, it's a mind game of knowing, right. of knowing you're worth, that you're like, yeah. worth. Yeah. But what I, I guess it's the same thing as an actor where, when you're being told no and you can't get work and you're yeah. waiting tables, it's hard to remember that that's, that's the case. And yeah. for you, when you're can't raise, you know, you don't raise a dime for yeah. an idea that you have that you put all this energy into it for a year. Yeah. It's admirable, I think, to still after the year be like, okay, well, we're going to do a Kickstarter thing. Like you, you didn't, you, you, you're really like a dog with a bone. Like you can't, <laughs> you can't yeah. let up. And it's almost the people that just keep going that extra, that yeah. extra mile if and, they have something. And, and, to, and the truth know. is like, you know, we launched a company, we was like, you know, whatever. And then we were like, we were, we were minus $60,000 in the hole in the beginning. Like we didn't go from minus 60,000, yeah, you know, I mean, and well, for, for like, we, we didn't know like we were going to make payroll and we were like, oh my God, we're we going to do. And then we finally like figured it out where we built the right website, created the right brand, really like found our voice, found the right tone, found the right, like hit the nerve the right way. And then the, and then we, the real kicker was when the New York city public transit system wanted to ban our subway ads in the subways, because they said, you can't say the word period because it's going to be offensive to riders. And so it was an opportunity to create a scandal out of that story. And so it took that to turn lemons into lemonade and took this, like what the, instead of the MTA saying no, you know, and we being like, all right, I guess we'll try to say time of the month then I guess. But instead of saying, no, we're like periods. Like we can't say period because it'll be offensive to riders. Are you fucking kidding me? And so we made a full press story out of it. And then that, story took off internationally is what put us on the map. Wow. Globally. What year was that? 2015. Yeah. Wow. And so that, and that is when we went from minus 60,000 to then, you know, subsequently now over a hundred million dollar brand, you Holy know? And cow. so like, how quickly was that escalation? Dude, and how like did two, it's three, like two and a half years, two and a half years. And how did you deal with scaling? Like, were you, was there I a mean, freakish point when you were yeah. like, Oh my God, we can't keep up with it. Yeah. 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 And that's when shit kind of, you know, that's, that's when, that's when a lot of lessons were learned, you know, it was really, really important to put senior management in place early. You know, I can't share a ton from that, that part of the experience, but, um, you know, I, I really learned that it's so, so important to, um, to have the right mix of people, especially with, you know, senior level people who have experience scaling things at this level. Yeah. And, um, you know, when you're, you know, an entrepreneur just starting out, you just were like, oh no, we can figure, figure it out. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. And then all of a sudden it's just this big thing that you, that you do need help in. And so. Which is the lesson from the restaurants. A hundred percent. Because that's what happened there. Yep. It's mm -hmm. operational. Yep. 
operational. You need, you need a partner. Yep. yep. And you so need. now, and so then, you know, fast forward and I'll, we'll come, we'll get back to Tushy. But now with my, my current company, Tushy, you know, that's also scaling really, really fast. You know, we, um, give us the elevator pitch. On, yeah. Tushy, on Tushy. Tushy is a, is, is so basically the, the, the thing is that, that I, that I love talking about first is that like we live in this innovative world, right? We're talking on like this podcast thingy where we have our Wi-Fi coursing through the house. We've got our cell phones. We have right. all this technology everywhere. You're flying through the air and the sky, like to get here from LA. And the minute we jump into the bathroom, poof, we're back into the 1800s. You know, yeah. it's like, like, like the fact that we're wiping our asses with dry paper, like we were doing since the late 1800s is hilarious to me. You know, the rest of the world has caught up and said, wait a minute, I think water cleans us better than dry paper. Like you would never jump in your shower, not turn the water on and just use dry toilet paper to wipe your body down and be like, <laughs> I'm clean. Right. Like you'd be like, are you fucking like, what is wrong with you? People would just be like, this something is some person, that person has screws loose. Like they're, they're wiping their body down with dry toilet paper, not using water. Like what the hell, you know, you go to your dirty dishes, don't turn the water on. Just use dry toilet paper and scrape your, wipe your, you know, like smear the whatever E. coli bacteria filled chicken, raw chicken that you cut up and like, and then you put your dish away. You know, people are going to be like, what the fuck are you doing? Like the dirtiest part of our bodies are butts filled with bacteria, with E. coli, with, that's how E. coli gets into food is because our poop, people don't wash their hands. They smear, they wipe their poop with their hands and some of it gets in their fingernails and then guess what? They make food. That food gets into people's food and then, they, and then people get sick. So imagine if you can create a beautiful modern bidet that easily attaches your existing toilet in 10 minutes. There's no plumbing, no electrical. It looks like a beautiful iPhone next to your toilet. It's a $69 product, you know, under $100 product. It's $79 actually because we upgraded it. We have better, better, better internal everything. Um, a $79 product, under $100 product. And you attach your existing toilet in 10 minutes. And now it precisely turn this knob. Don't have to ever touch your poop again. And you just spray your butt precisely with a gentle stream of water. And then you pat dry with a couple of sheets of toilet paper, but you're patting dry clean. Like you're not, you're not, there's no poop left because you've washed your butt properly with a st precise stream. And so my new company, my company, well, it's not so new anymore. It's called Tushy. Hello, Tushy.com. Do not go to Tushy.com. It's a very graphic porn site. <laughs> go to hello, Tushy.com. I'm waving hello, Tushy.com. Um, and check it out. And it's really like, the most game changing thing you can do for your bottom. Like I went, I was out today and I had to poop like out in the wild, not in my house. Or I forgot my travel tushy with me because we also have a travel bidet for $29 that you can literally take with you everywhere. And I usually take with, I take mine with me everywhere I go, but today I have to run out for a meeting and I, and I, and I had to like, oh my God, I didn't take my morning poop because it's early. So then I like pooped at like the office, wherever it was, didn't have my tushy with me. And I had to like go to the sink before I went to the poop. I had to like put tons of like water in these wads of toilet paper and then like enter the stall with like dripping wads of toilet paper, you know, and then like wipe. And it was the met gross. I was just like, this is barbaric. This is straight up out of like savage worlds. Like I don't even understand. And the fact, you know, and yeah. so like, I am so excited that we are entering the 21st century. Like we're, we're creating a new way of going to the bathroom. Like, like toilet paper is the way of the old, like using, using tushy is like this. It's the new paradigm for going to the bathroom. This is it. This is the only way to go. And so 
that's what I'm excited about is to change culture again, is to take something like pooping that's taboo. Meanwhile, everybody poops, hopefully multiple times a day, if you're lucky, if you're healthy, you know, and take it and and like take it out of the dark ages, take it out of the 1800s because yeah, we all do it. We might as well do it in the cleanest, most like, like economic way. You're by the way, you were saving 15 million trees from getting flushed down the toilet because right now 15 million trees are getting cut down to make toilet paper. You know, we're cutting down the Canadian boreal forest to make toilet paper. It's fucking crazy. And then like we're smearing it on our butt, like not properly cleaning ourselves because it's dry and gross. And it's, it's helping exacerbate 30 million combined cases of chronic urinary tract infections, hemorrhoids, anal fissures, anal itching, all these things, chronic diseases that you can just alleviate it by just using water. Like people are like, what about wet wipes? Wet wipes strip the natural oils from your behind. Like they literally strip away because your you're, you're chemicals and your smear. What? Just use water because when you strip away the natural oils, it causes anal fissures, anal itching. So many of our customers were like, oh my God, I had fissures, I had an itching. And I thought wet wipes was the thing that was cleaning me better, but right. actually it's worse because it's stripping away the natural oils, making you itch more and making you right. eventually have lacerations back there. Right. And so rather just use a fresh stream of water, which is the universal cleaning solvent of the world. And so I'm just obviously very passionate about it. And I think that like, I know that every time I poop and I have my product, I'm like literally like thanking like the universe. And I think that's the point, right? Necessity is a mother of invention. I started the restaurants because I had stomach aches. I started things. I had friggin' period accidents and I started Tushy because I was sick of having a dirty butt. You know, and so I think with all those things, like you have to have that level of commitment and dedication and like relentlessness to keep to keep at it. Whether people are like, that's the worst idea ever. No, your passion is, and what 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 I like about your kind of, I, I don't know if I would say, yeah, I guess presentation of it is just that you you then go through the uh the health reasons and also the environmental reasons, and there's it's backed with such not only passion, but also logic. Right. But right. It, it is crazy because I, I've got to be honest with you. I never, I, I don't think, you, I don't think about it. I would it. like to invite you to take a poop in my house, <laughs> please. Okay. Please go ahead in my bathroom and just even like, uh, you know, like just push one out, like, and just use it. Or even just, if you don't have to poop, that's fine. Just go and just, I, I'm actually inviting you to go and use it in my bathroom and just see what it feels like. And by the way, there's a nozzle wash cleaner. So it's like clean every time. It's not like yeah, it's yeah. sanitized every time. And so you, you'll see, you'll just be like, what have I been doing? In fact, are you going, are you going home tomorrow? I'm, I'm going to give tomorrow, you one. Yeah. I'm going to give you one. I'm giving you a tushy bag. <laughs> you have to take, I mean, are you fine taking it home with, I mean, or do you want to like, is I mean, it's like a, you know, it's a cute little box. Like, you, I mean, like you don't have to. Yeah, like, let's I, look at it. Yeah, yeah, say, yeah. yeah. No. But it'll like change your, you will be like, what have I been doing with my life? Like, Watch I'm, out everybody. I'm going to, my Instagram posts are going to be me, you know, coming out of the bathroom. On the toilet. <laughs> just being like, what the actual fuck? So, so the three questions are this. One, uh, the word no means what to you? An opportunity for a different route to a yes. Okay. Um, Do you have a go-to mantra when everything falls apart? Anything that runs through your head? 
It could change. I yeah. Mean, maybe I mean, right one. now it's, it's, you know, what has been revealed to me, you know, my book disruptor, I talk about how to replace the word failure or failing forward, even anything with fail in it with revelation, what has been revealed to me? Like what, like, cause that's it. It's like, you, you know, no other animal on earth talks about failure. I failed. I can't believe that happened to me. None of them did like, okay, I didn't get catch that, uh, that rodent, I'm going to go a different way. I'll try again next time. I'm not going to, you know, or like I climbed that tree and oh, I couldn't reach that banana. Oh, well, I'm not going to be like, uh -huh, uh -huh. I feel they just figure a different way to get there. And just like, I find like we live in this world, we overthink everything. And it's just like, no, we, we figure things out. We learn, we grow from them. What has been revealed to me? Yeah. That's cool. The, the tagline on my website is failure is opportunity. Mm -hmm. That's the, mm -hmm. you know, cause that's really what I, I think it's mm -hmm. like we only learn by That's it. falling on our That's face it. and getting up. And so, and then the last question for you is, uh, if you could give your younger self advice, what age would you intervene and what would the advice be? Um, slow down a little bit, <laughs> just like, you know, I could be a little shoot from the hip, you know, like make quick rash decisions and, um, to be a little bit, take pause before I make decisions really quickly. Which age of you would you have told that to? Every age until <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> I was just going to say, there's no way she would listen to you <laughs> based on, I know, you know she'd be like, all right, get out of my face. Yeah, I, I keep, keep getting going. better and better, but it's still, That's it's good. still something that I'm like, I get so excited or I'm like, oh, like, you know, I'm just so like intense or passionate that I sometimes just like, yeah, or no, you know, yeah, and not yeah. like, Wait, let me think about it. And then, you and know. And then makes it the same. Yeah. So, and then before I say this, you have to give me the pronunciation because I think I'm going to butcher it. Mickey Agrawal? Yeah. Am I going to Yeah, that's it. it. Okay. Mickey Agrawal. Mickey Thank Agrawal. you for sitting yeah. down with me. This was awesome. Thank you so much. This yeah. is awesome. What we do here is go back, 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 back. Okay. Top three takeaways. I hope you learned a thing or two from Mickey. I certainly did. Number one, Mickey stressed not doing everything yourself, assembling a team of people that can do things better than you. But how? She says, make it a win-win. Don't just say, can I pick your brain? to bring together really interesting people to make it a win-win. It can't just be like, come idea, my idea for me. Like, you can't just be like, come, I, I need your help. Because the minute you're like, can I pick your brain? Like I, in, my, in my talks and in my everything, I'm like, never say, can I pick your brain? And when you make it a win-win for people, regardless of where you are in your career, you never know what you may get in return. And then she spent a month and a half working for me, doing everything, not complaining, figuring everything out, having zero experience in any of it. And then a month and a half later, I'm like, yeah, I need someone to really help me, you know, full time. Number two, if you're not getting what you want, you need to try a different angle. This applies to any of you in any area, but listen to Mickey describing it in relation to raising money for a very female-centric product from men. And so what I also realized is that, you know, you can't talk to men about like the way it makes you feel. Like I've actually had a couple of investors like put a pad on and walk around and like see what it feels like, but that didn't really quite work. I mean, work, I mean like, and so, and so you really, really had to relate to the opportunity in the market, right? Like $15 billion category, only three innovations in the entire 20th century. There was, this is a blue ocean white space of a business. Like the category is like ready and ripe for disruption. 
Number three, know your value. This one is really important for anyone who is a creator. It's so tough to remember that your idea, even though it's somewhat intangible at the moment, contains value. Initially, I was always like, can I have money? And now I'm like, uh, who the fuck are you? And that's all, folks. When you make your episode explicit, you can end on an F-bomb. Thank you, Mickey Agrawal, for sharing your story. Thank you all for listening. Check out the links in our show notes for more information about Mickey and similar past guests, where to follow me on social media so you can get announcements and promo videos of who's next, be added to our mailing list, or contact us. There's also a link if you want to shop for cool 10,000 Nose hats and t-shirts in our online store. All proceeds go toward keeping this podcast rolling. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen so you don't miss any episodes when they come out. And please share it with your friends if you think it could help them. We'll see you next week. 